Maybe you've heard of Slack, but what is it? Slack is your new HQ. One place for everyone at your company to find answers, share updates, and stay caught up. Slack, where work happens. Get started at slack.com. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. When the market rebounds after taking on the chin for weeks, like we saw today, Dow gaining 354 points, S&P climbing 1.55%, NASDAQ pole vaulting 2.06%, you want answers. Why do we rally? How long can it last? Is the move sustainable? Here's what I know. When you have a run based on the quicksand of a quiet weekend where nothing really happened, it's easy. I could come out here and foment some reasons. I, I could just say, as I did on Twitter this morning, by the way, that it's classic bear market rally, the kind that lures you into thinking the worst is over and it's safe to start buying when it's really not. Of course, if you subscribe to that logic, the time to buy was actually on Friday into the teeth of the panic. When even a big football win yesterday couldn't make up for the mistake of taking down some stocks on that miserable afternoon. Remember, didn't it feel miserable? In retrospect, you'd be up nicely if you bought the dip, at least for now. But what comes next? Can we infer anything from today's action? Is there some prologue here that tells us what's going to happen? Well, for starters, this market got very oversold on Friday, and that's the crux of the move. We reached minus 5% on the uh, minus 5 on the proprietary S&P oscillator that I've subscribed to for the past 30 years. Whenever the oscillator hits those levels, it's a sign that selling is too aggressive and will quickly exhaust itself as long as it doesn't get any additional fuel. Even in a bear market, and yes, we might as well call it the darn thing, right? The oscillator is working. The only time it failed me was during the financial crisis. In this particular bear market, we've had three significant declines with the oscillators going below minus five. And each time the selling got too aggressive and it's produced roughly about a 5% bounce. I mean, sometimes we're less than that. And you could say arguably maybe we already got half the bounce. So trading history, often accurate, but far from perfect, says this move up might not be finished. We could rally another three or 4% before the oversold bounce exhausts itself, although already it's gotten less oversold after today. But is there anything concrete to justify this rally beside the simple fact that stocks have come down too far too fast? All right, there are some genuine positives that some real optimists can hang their hat on. And the first one was something that happened Friday afternoon. United Technologies, the giant conglomerate, finally got approval to buy Rockwell Collins from the Chinese regulators that have been holding up this deal seemingly forever. Now, this actually, this transaction is now going to close the next few days. After companies... uh, Seemingly after this action, I would say some companies will feel emboldened to make deals and still others will argue that the great thaw has begun when President Trump meets Chinese President Xi at the G20 summit later this week, that this was some sort of signal. I think the approval does matter. China had no reason to give United Technologies the go ahead right now ahead of the G20 meeting, except as a gesture of goodwill. So you can't help but wonder if President Trump will put on his peace face this weekend, playing the happy warrior to Vice President Pence's cold warrior. But I say don't get your hopes up. Trump has a very zero-sum mindset when it comes to China. I think there are many people in this administration who see trade deals with the People's Republic as simply funding Chinese geopolitical ambitions. So they're happy to sacrifice U.S. profits, even 
Apple's U.S. profits if it means containing China's influence. Then again, anything, anything can happen in a couple of days worth of smiles, including a possible stay of trade execution on the 25% tariff that's supposed to come into play in January if we don't get some kind of agreement. President Nick Close seemed to be saying it's a foregone conclusion, but then maybe he didn't. He's hard to read. What matters? If the president allows our China tariffs to go from 10% to 25% like they're scheduled to, and he reiterated to the journal tonight would happen, that's going to be very bad for you and for me and for all American consumers. I think many people will be blindsided by higher prices and all sorts of merchandise. It's a key part of what's behind the bear market, even as President Trump would never admit to that. Frankly, the pain speaks for itself. We don't him copping the mauling. His clumsy statements, though, about how the American consumer could handle 10 percent tariffs on Apple goods made in China, including the iPhone, could make him Kodiak in chief if he keeps this stuff up. Second positive, we got to decline the bait in the key baker used rig count on Friday. That's the company that, that figures out how many rigs are in use. Sure, it was only three rigs off of an 888 rig basis. But close observers of the oil market have to be betting that the $50 level is the line where drilling is just not profitable in the Permian Basin because there's not enough pipe to take it to market. The discounts, sometimes as much as $15 below that posted West Texas price, mean that these companies are losing money on every barrel they're pumping. Now, there's a lot of bogus chatter out there about how their balance sheets are stressed in the oil industry. Nonsense. They're much stronger than the last big de- decline. When crude plunged to 26 bucks a barrel, because these producers never really increased their drilling budget as much as we expected. And many of them raised equity. As we put fewer rigs to work, that brings us closer to an oil bottom. And that's good news for stocks. Remember, there are plenty of money managers who own both. And when the oil futures get crushed, they have to sell the rest of the market to meet their oil-related margin calls. The reality here, if producers do cut back on drilling and oil prices find some sort of new equilibrium at these levels, oil jumped a buck today to 51.60, that'd be pretty positive for the stock market. It means lower prices at the pump. You get some layoffs in the red-hot energy industry, something that will make the Fed less likely to keep tightening. Third, the Fed itself could be a source of solace this week, as Chairman Jay Powell speaks on Wednesday, and he'll be hard-pressed not to show his hand. Any sign that he's inclined to raise interest rates once in December and then hold off on more this is the one in weight theory that I've been propounding. Well, I, rather than getting three more rate hikes in 2019 and to overshoot, well, that'll be viewed as pure gold by the market. Powell caused the other half of this darn bear market with that. Uh, the other half, of course, coming from the White House, specifically Vice President Pence's commitment to containing China, not just getting a more even playing field for trade. If we get a prudent statement from Powell on Wednesday based on declining commodity prices, slower housing, slower autos, Thank you, GM, for the gigantic pre-Christmas layoffs. That would ignite a vicious short squeeze. That would be the other 25 to 3% that could happen. And it, it, it could be justified, uh, given the oversold reading from Friday. Powell needs the cover to give us one and wait. He can say he has to tighten in December because of aggressive consumer spending for the holidays, Black Friday, all that stuff. But then he wants to wait for the tariff news and the impact of the post-Christmas retail closings, which should be fast and furious. Fourth, it looks like we're getting some sort of resolution at last with Brexit and with the Italian budget crisis. The U.K. finally seems to have gotten its act together and the Italian market's rallying. You could easily argue these two developments should lead to a weaker dollar, which translates into stronger overseas earnings for American companies that do business abroad. Plus, never underestimate how the big hedge funds like to assume that our major banks are tied to Europe. No wonder J.P. Morgan's stock roared today. These foolish money managers always seem to buy J.P.M. when Europe goes up. 
It's a total false tell. Tell being a term which is an homage to the late Ricky Jay, who once played cards with me and knew everything I was about to do before I did it. He was the greatest magician of our time, save David Blaine, who actually, by the way, has otherworldly powers. Here's the bottom line. We get a rally reprieve, especially if Salesforce.com gives us a good number tomorrow and a good forecast when it reports. But please, never confuse a bounce with a sustained move, because the only sustained move we've seen since the early October meltdown has been a sustained move lower. Tony in South Carolina. Tony. Yes, Mr. Kramer. Nice to speak with you. Same, Tony. What's going on? Okay, I'm interested in Ford. I was interested in it because when I bought it, it was around 11, and I thought I could play with it if it drops down to 10, things like that. But I was going to put it up, sell it, take a little loss on it. But then when I heard the news about General Motors knocking off those four plants, I thought, well, maybe uh, it, it might be smart if I held I want you a to little hold bit it. longer. I want you to hold it, Tony. I think that they had a good quarter, and I think that the yield right now is safe. I would not get rid of Ford under $10. That would be a mistake. All right, please, people, do not confuse a bounce with a sustained move. I still believe this is a rolling bear market, not a bull market with a correction. Oh, man, tonight, after months of waiting, China has cleared the way for United Technologies to purchase Rockwell College. What should you expect following the mega merger? I'm going to give you my take. Then, after Black Friday saw a record-breaking $6.2 billion in online sales, What's in store for Cyber Monday? I'm eyeing three big retailers, probably going down because of the tariffs, that could offer up a bargain even here. And a typical American ate more than 4,500 calories on Thanksgiving Day alone. If you saw my Twitter picture, you know I doubled that. Looking to work it off? I'm eyeing one company that can help and keep your portfolio fit in the process. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. In unprecedented times, access to the right information can help you make better informed investing decisions. That's why TD Ameritrade is committed to providing a range of relevant educational content, like timely articles, informative webcasts, and access to daily live market news, so you can stay on the path to becoming a smarter investor. Learn more at tdameritrade.com slash market hub. TD Ameritrade, where smart investors get smarter. On Friday, will you recovering from Thanksgiving or trampling each other to get your hands on some marked-down fleece hoodies at Victoria's Secret or watching a glorified exhibition golf match? We finally got some long-awaited good news. After dragging their feet for ages, the Chinese regulators at last approved the United Technologies Rockwell Collins deal, the one we'd nearly given up on. A lot of people figured that China would block the merger, just like they blocked Qualcomm's attempt to acquire NXP semiconductors earlier this year in order to give themselves more leverage in the trade war. For whatever reason, maybe the People's Republic wanted to send us an olive branch going into President Trump's big meeting with President Xi later this week. There are no more obstacles preventing United Technologies from buying Rockwell Collins, which is why both stocks caught fire on Friday and are continuing tonight after some good news. Yes, this deal 
closes sometime in the next couple of days. And we just learned tonight that the company will split into three different enterprises to unlock value when it does close. As long as China delayed the deal, though, the breakup was on hold. It's no longer the case. It's been greenlit. The stock's still down dramatically, though, from its September highs. Could this merger slash breakup turn things around? You need to understand, when this transaction was announced 14 months ago, it was supposed to be a game changer. United Technologies has three main lines of business. They make Otis elevators, climate control and security systems, and the big one, aerospace components, the one we really like. With the $30 billion Rockwell Collins acquisition, the company was doubling down on aircraft. The deal gives them more exposure to flight deck avionics, cabin electronics, cabin interiors, communications. Basically, United Technologies will have a lot more bargaining power when it comes to the content on new planes, and that means they'll be tougher and harder and maybe get better prices from Boeing and Airbus. I'd argue more aerospace exposure is a good thing to have, although that seemed clear when the stocks were red hot a few months ago. Thanks to the market-wide meltdown over the past couple of months, the group has cooled off. But I think the bullish narrative remains intact. It's all about the rising middle class in developing countries. Suddenly, there's a critical mass of people who can afford air travel in these places. So the demand for new planes has been stunning. In a very difficult market, this tide cannot be rolled back. And that's why United Technologies wanted Rockwell Collins to begin with. And once the deal closed, there'll be even more of an aerospace powerhouse. Management is looking for over $500 million in cost synergies by year four. They predict that the transaction will start being additive to earnings roughly one year from now. And again, tip of the iceberg, because this takeover opens the door to a three-way breakup that will be a major boon for shareholders. Greg Hayes, the CEO of United Technologies, talked about exploring the full range of strategic options, Wall Street speak for possibly breaking up the company, when the deal was announced 14 months ago. Then an investor conference in February, he got more explicit, wondering aloud about whether United Technologies might be worth more as three separate entities, one for aerospace that would include Rockwell Collins, one for Otis Elevators, and one for heating, ventilation, air conditioning. And now it's become a reality as of this evening. If it was pretty much a foregone conclusion, why isn't the stock up even more? Well, for one thing, President Trump rolled out a steel and aluminum tariffs in March to protect American producers from Chinese dumping. Uh, Their government subsidizes steel production as a kind of make-work program. And that kicked off what turned into a serious trade dispute with China. United Technologies saw its stock get clobbered in March because these tariffs get them coming and going. Companies a major consumer of steel and aluminum, so the tariffs are basically a federally mandated price hike for some of their largest input costs. At the same time, while United Technologies gets a little less than half of its sales from overseas, China's their third largest uh, uh, end market. And, but more important, it's their number one source of growth, especially for the Otis Elevator business. You have to figure they were ripe for Chinese retaliation. Still, the company kept delivering very strong numbers, so the stock rebounded, ultimately surging to new highs in mid-September. At the time, it looked like the Rockwell Collins deal would close in a matter of weeks. And then, as Greg Hayes told us, all options would be on the table. The problem is, come October, the bull market and stocks shed its skin, put on a bear suit. When Fed Chief Jay Powell started talking about overshooting with his rate hikes to tame inflation, that was bad news for a cyclical company like United Technologies that does better in a robust economy. At the same time, the Trump administration ratcheted up the rhetoric against China. Rather than a trade war, they started making it sound like a cold war to contain China's geopolitical ambitions. Also bad news for United Technologies. They want Chinese dumping to push down the price of steel and aluminum while they sell China elevators and climate control systems and aerospace components without excessive tariffs. So the stock got obliterated last month, even as the company actually managed to deliver yet another beat and raise quarter. Too many newly skeptical investors figured out the numbers had to deteriorate going forward thanks to an economic slowdown, both here and abroad, not just to mention the trade war. Those concerns haven't gone away. 
But with China giving them the green light to Rockwell Collins, uh, maybe it's a better story. All of a sudden, United Technologies can get moving on that breakup. And by all accounts, uh, they're going to move very quickly, beginning as early as tomorrow's analyst call. So is this potential breakup enough reason to own the stock here? Or has the environment simply become too hostile to anything cyclical? On the one hand, you got a similar situation to Dow DuPont. I, they're on the verge of splitting up three, into three separate businesses, but the stock hasn't gotten much credit for it because it's seen as being too tied to the health of the economy. However, I think some kind of corporate divorce is the right move for United Technologies. The aerospace business is simply way too valuable. And right now, the stock market does not give it credit. OK, doesn't give credit it's due because it's joined at the hip with the Otis elevators and climate control divisions. On its own, unlocking that value is a big positive, even in this lousy environment. The bottom line is you can't own United Technologies in a vacuum, though. At the end of the day, stock's still hostage to President Trump's negotiations with China and the Federal Reserve's interest rate decisions. I think the stock has come down so much, though, that it's worth investing in here because the share price reflects a lot of the negativity and not much of anything going right. And, of course, you finally got the positive catalyst. That said, please, let's not forget real headwinds. Take them into consideration before you pull the trigger and certainly don't buy all at once because this bear has managed to maul anything related to China. And boy, oh boy, is United Technologies new or old related to China. Dick in Virginia. Dick. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. And I wanted to wish you and your family and your staff and doggies, too, great holidays. Thank you. Right back at you. I'm sitting here with five doggies waiting to be fed dinner. So uh, let me ask you my question. Um, (laughs) I have Honeywell, and it hasn't traded very well. And it spun off the REZI, and that hasn't traded well. Right. And I'm wondering whether it's time to give up on it. Although I heard that United Technologies splitting up into other companies, I'm wondering whether there might be some interest in Honeywell. Uh, whether I should buy, sell, or hold. Okay, I want uh, you to buy. Uh, you know, Honeywell one forty three. I like. I'm telling members of the charitable trust, uh, the ActionLearnersPlus.com club. I like Honeywell very much. To sell the spinoffs, though, they've already been further along in the spinoff process. I want you to own the core Honeywell. I do see some downside because of how crummy the market is, but I love what the company's doing for shareholders. All right, things can move quickly for United Technologies from here. Finally, that positive catalyst, but recognize the headwinds before you make any moves. But we're mad ahead. You might have spent the day searching for deals on Cyber Monday, but I'm eyeing a few retail stocks that are also featuring bargain prices here. I'll reveal the names just ahead. Then, most Americans are not getting the exercise they need, and that's costing the healthcare system over $100 billion each year. I'm eyeing one company that's working to get you and your portfolio in shape. And with the market closing higher today, are the bears hibernating? Not quite. I'll tell you how action stocks like Goldman Sachs and NVIDIA can point to some real bearish behavior. So stick with Kramer. This CNBC podcast is brought to you by TD Ameritrade. Investing isn't one size fits all. Every investor has a unique style. That's why TD Ameritrade offers two different mobile apps. There's TD Ameritrade Mobile, which lets you manage your portfolio with streamlined simplicity. Or Thinkorswim Mobile, which gives you tools you need for more advanced trades and in-depth analysis. Visit tdameritrade.com apps to find the one that's right for you. Once again, that's tdameritrade.com apps. In the spirit of Cyber Monday, today I want to help you do some bargain hunting. 
Many of you likely spent hours perusing the internet for big discounts on all sorts of merchandise. But you know what else has been put on sale with massively reduced sell, prices? Sell, 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 sell. The retail sell, stocks. Sell, sell, sell. Sell, sell, sell. The retail stocks themselves. Even after today's meager bounce, the retailers have been hit hard by the recent carnage. Some of them are starting to look intriguing. Now, don't get me wrong. Not every beaten down retail name is worth buying. This is feeling more and more like a bear market, as I've been saying over and over. (laughs) Thanks to Fed tightenings and presidential tariffs on China, that means we need to be a little more selective than we normally would be, if we're going to buy at all. For example, L Brands gave us dismal update and slashed its dividend in half. So its stock deserved to get pummeled, even as the cut was a prudent move, Although the company's very bullish about the idea that they took this measure, I want to see, frankly, some results. And look, between fears of a Fed-induced economic slowdown, which you know I've predicted, and further escalation in the trade war with China, which you know I've predicted, I don't blame anyone for feeling skeptical about retail in general. However, a number of retailers reported legitimately strong numbers, and their stocks still got crushed. I think there's some bargains. But before we get into the specific opportunities, you need to understand what drove last week's hideous retail breakdown. Last Tuesday, the S&P retail ETF had its worst one-day decline in nearly two years. What happened? We heard from retailer after retailer, and even when they reported strong results, well, their stocks hit a wall. That's bear market activity. The new consensus on Wall Street, even if a retailer told us it's doing well, this past quarter probably is going to be the last good quarter. Suddenly, investors are terrified that we'll have an ugly holiday uh, season or an ugly post-holiday season or an ugly 2019 or ugly whatever. And nothing any of these companies said could convince the sellers otherwise. I get where they're coming from. If you believe the Federal Reserve is going to keep slamming the brakes on the economy, or President Trump and President Xi of China won't be able to patch up their differences at the G20 conference later this week, and come January, the tariffs go from 10 to 25 percent, extend to a whole bunch of new items, something, by the way, that President Trump told the Wall Street Journal late this afternoon would occur. Well, then you have to assume that the numbers are about to get uglier for the whole sector. But much of this weakness has already been baked in to some of the really good companies. Uh, and, and, of course, any positive developments from the Fed or China is going to send these things roaring. It's all about assessing the risk reward. And some of these names, I think, could uh, have become a lot more attractive. And, uh, yes, they could get even more attractive as they go down. But let's just go over this for a second. And I want to start with Macy's. Now, here's a department store name that we started recommending in August of last year when the stock was trading at roughly $20. I told you it would become too cheap to ignore, and even after the recent pullback, it's rallied more than 50% since then. But that decline from that, t- that peak, it's been brutal. Macy's lost 29% of its value since it peaked over the summer. Remember what I've been saying here. That's a bear market. Okay, that's not a correction. It's a bear market. Well, some of this weakness is simply about profit-taking. A lot of it has to do with the market's negative reaction to the company's past couple of quarters. I think it's an overreaction. I mean, just once again, the bear market seizing control of the narrative. In August, for instance, Macy's delivered better than expected earnings. They did better than expected revenue. Better than expected same-store sales. They even raised their full-year forecast. A week and a half ago, the company posted another beat, much higher than anticipated earnings. 3.1% same-store sales growth. Analysts were only looking for 2.6, even as their overall revenue was in line. Once again, management raised their full-year guidance for both same-store sales and earnings, and it did not matter. The stock keeps getting hammered. In August, there was some chatter maybe about Macy's missing gross margin estimates, but that felt like more of an excuse for profit-taking. 
I mean, in other words, just pin the tail, tail on the donkey. Oh, it went down. All right, let's pin it on gross margins. Oh, no. This is just the new bear thesis, which boils down to the simple idea that while the numbers may be good now, there's no way they can stay good. Here's my view, though. I think CEO Jeff Gannett has been making the tough decisions needed to turn Macy's around. He's closing underperforming stores, using excess capital to pay down debt, doing everything in his power to keep inventories lean, which translates into fewer markdowns. At the same time, he's been growing the digital operation really well. He's been rolling out all sorts of improvements for the brick and mortar stores. He has visual experts now, young people. Young people who visualize the stores. That's what I want. Plus, Macy's has a real opportunity here as its major competitors stumble. Sears is effectively gone. J.C. Penny may not even be far behind. Nordstrom's not a great quarter. Best of all, the stock is incredibly cheap. Right now, Macy's sells for less than nine times next year's earnings estimates. Sure, it could get to eight times. It could get to seven times. But it's dirt cheap. That seems crazy to me, especially since Gannett came on CNBC on Friday morning and told us that they're having a really strong start to the holiday season. As for the tariffs, Macy's is prepared and ready. I think it's a buy, especially since you're now getting a 4.6% yield, and that's safe. All right, next up is another controversial one that should not be controversial. It's Kohl's. It's a stock we like so much that we own it from our charitable trust. You can follow along by joining the ActionLordsPlus.com club. Just like Macy's, Kohl's has a chance to take mucho market share. This stock was on fire until two weeks ago. Yeah, just dropped 20% for heaven's sake. Why? Well, after Kohl's reported two weeks ago, its stock went into a tailspin. But when you look at the numbers, they're pretty solid. A modest earnings beat, inline revenue, subsequently better than expected same-store sales. Plus, management was remarkably bullish on the conference call, pointing to strength across their whole apparel business, extremely strong execution that improved throughout the quarter. The last month was the best. Once again, though, the stock sold off as the analysts hand-waved away the recent strength, assuming it's unsustainable penalty box. The thing is, Kohl's does have fabulous execution. They've got some great brand names. That's what you go there for. They've embraced more economical, small format stores, which I think are really fun. And please, let's not forget the thing they're rolling out, the partnership with Amazon. You can return your Amazon order goods to Kohl's in person. You don't have to wrap them, but they make you walk to the back of the store. So you go through the racetrack. Brilliant. Brilliant way to boost traffic. Oh, and at these levels, Kohl's now sells for nearly 11 times next year's earnings. That's down from more than 14 times just two weeks ago. The estimates haven't really changed. The stock's just been hit that hard, which is also why Kohl's solid balance sheet has got a 3.7% U. Finally, there's one that I just can't believe they threw up, gave up on, just hate. Target. I mean, okay, it's a little different. Target stock had been roaring earlier this year, but unlike Kohl's or Macy's, it reported genuinely disappointing earnings last week, which makes its 23% decline from its highs more understandable than what happened with Kohl's or Macy's. What did happen with Target? Okay, last Tuesday, Target delivered a modest earnings miss and a modest same-store sales miss. Worse, management decided not to give us guidance for 2019. And when everyone's worried that retail may be peaking, that kind of thing, well, that creates a real bad vibe. But here's the thing. Target only disappointed because the expectations had gotten too high. The company posted a series of very strong quarters thanks to the turnaround. Masterminded, and it's for real, if you've been to the small format stores, you know this, by CEO Brian Cornell. And in a vacuum, well, the turn's still going strong. While Target's 5.1% same-store sales growth was lower than anticipated, it's still a number that most retailers would kill for. Their digital business is roaring. Their balance sheet is clean as a whistle. Their new stores are successful. Traffic's terrific. Plus, after this decline, Target's selling for 12 times next year's earnings, down from 15 times, 3.7% dividend yield. And again, I want to point out, if this were not a bear market, the stock would have been up 10%, not down. We're in a bear. We don't know when it's going to end. 
but we do know value when we see it. And while we're looking for Cyber Monday bargains, let me give you another one everybody hates all of a sudden, Amazon. It's the biggest beneficiary of e-commerce. Stock's now down nearly 23% from its highs. Again, in a rolling bear market, I think you can get cheaper, but it's real good. And everyone knows that. Bottom line, I know wagering on retail is a dicey pr- pr- proposition here, and I accept that it's some wagering since I don't know where the risk ends. But Macy's, Kohl's, Target, Amazon, these are high-quality companies. Stocks, I think, these three, they are bargains. Yes, they've been put on sale. Can they go lower? Absolutely. But you've got yield protection. You've got good managements. I like all three. They're buys. Chrissy and Marilyn. Chrissy. Hi, Jim. How are you? Oh, uh, Chrissy, I'm dealing with this beleaguering market. How are you doing? Well, about the same. I, um, I'm very excited to be calling you. My mother is um, a huge Kramer fan, and she doesn't know that I'm talking to you, so I'm very excited for us to watch it later. Oh, that's terrific. I'm glad your mom Tell her thank you. I will, absolutely. So my question is this. Mom is mom's, uh, got a decent portfolio. She's got Parkinson's, and I started taking over some of her stuff, started trying to help her make Things continue to grow, and so we've been talking about different purchases. And a couple weeks ago, we saw that Roth was one of the things up on the board to possibly buy. So did some research, saw it was super bullish, had like a 10 ranking on my with my investment people. And so I was like, okay, let's go ahead and buy some. So we bought 50 shares at 100. And okay. then as the days went by, the market just it started to go down and down and down and down. And so now it's about... Uh, 80-ish, and they've um, kind of revamped what the score should be. They right. said it should come somewhere between 95 and 98 in terms of, you know, where that, right. that stock should hit. But if I have it at 100, I'm wondering, would it make sense to buy 50 more shares at 80 so that, you know, if I sit on it and the stock well, goes back up, I'm kind of splitting the difference and making My inclination is you're right, Chrissy. Now, look, it did an inline quarter. It did not do a blowout quarter. Some of its competitors did blowout quarters. And that's why people sold it off. I think that Ross is still a great long-term situation. I like your idea. But you know what? How about 25 and then 25 if it goes lower? Because you're not going to leave yourself any room if this is not the bottom. And I've been telling people, look, we're in a bear market. I don't know when the bottom is, but we're through a lot of the bear market already. So let's just stay cautious. All right. Happy Cyber Monday. Looking for gifts to keep on giving. These stocks have come down a great deal. Can they come down more? Absolutely. Are they starting to be viable? Absolutely more. Much more mad money ahead. With everybody snapping selfies, it's more important than ever to feel good and look good. So could a stock like Planet Fitness, which is incredibly well run, get in your portfolio in shape? I'm going to sit down with CEO. Then despite today's move to the green, could a bear still be lurking in this market? Well, you know how I feel, and you know what I'll reveal. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. On a day like today, you want to search for stocks that have been relatively immune to the broader bear market, even though, of course, we had a good run at the end. Take Planet Fitness, PLNT for you home gamers, the largest and fastest growing chain of fitness centers in the United States. Here's a company that's been making a killing thanks to a pair of powerful secular trends. The younger generation is very health conscious and they're also very image conscious, which means that there's a lot of demand for a low cost gym with a judgment free ethos. Plus, older people want to live longer and they don't want to spend an arm and a leg on fitness. That's why the stock has been on fire, up 65% since the last time we had them on the show in January. Hey, sure, it got dinged earlier this 
month, but it quickly came roaring back after the company reported a blowout quarter a few weeks ago. And business could be about to get even better as New Year's resolution season is right around the corner. So can the stock keep climbing? Let's check in with Chris Rondo, the CEO of Planet Fitness, to get a better sense of how his company's doing and where it's headed. Mr. Rondo, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Chris. How are you been? Have a seat. Thank Thank you. All right, now I'm, I'm confused. I know that January is resolution time, but nobody eats more on a given day than that Thursday of Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. Is this when the season starts for signups? Actually, when the weather starts to change, in a day like today, you see outside, you know, it's overcast and right. time, daylight savings. Mm-hmm. It's dark early out of work. You might as well work out, you know. No Is more, that really? No cookouts. Yeah, so daylight savings has a lot to do with it. But you're right. New Year's resolutions come up in January, and uh, that's when we get busy. Okay, so I see some places, there's a, a lot of good stuff about where you have them. Some states have, uh, like New Hampshire, you know, because mm-hmm. I know you know that, uh, 8.8%. Other places are uh, regions 3.4, 4.4. What's saturation for Planet Fitness? How many can you have per state? Yeah, so we, uh, we project 4,000 for the states total. Yeah, we're at uh, over 1,600 today. Okay. So, but we look at uh, penetration rates, mm-hmm. and like New Hampshire's prime example, about 9%. Um, and we have a lot of markets, just small DMAs, that we're in the teens. Oh, penetration. Okay. So we look at the, at the country as a whole. We went West Coast last because we're right. a New Hampshire-based company. And we get out there to the West. We're single digits, low single digits. Penetration So a lot of room for growth. What we've really found, though, we have 12.2 million members today. Right. We IPO, That's up from like 11 when I saw you last. Yeah, and the IPO was just over three years ago. Right. We had 7 million. Mm-hmm. But our marketing, that marketing machine I talk about a lot is 9% of every membership dollar that members pay fuel tomorrow's joints. Right. 9% of every membership do. So look at that growth just in member base, and those dudes going to penetrate more than 80% of the market that doesn't have a gym membership today, right. believe it or not. Now, there was a, a guy from Wedbush writes that uh, more club openings drive fourth quarter raise, which I think is really important. But he also said that, uh, that you had a, a lot of your sales of equipment uh, moved to 39% to 46000000 million, well ahead of our estimate at 12% growth, has reached 90%, and was presenting that as not being positive. How do I... Oh, I don't understand that. So two things. Equipment is, is a good part of what we do, and it's a lot of brand consistency. Right. Well, our gyms are the same whether you're in Minnesota, Wyoming, or New Hampshire, or right here in Manhattan, you know? And, uh, and a lot of it is containing the brand consistency. Also, our re-equips. We require our franchisees to re-equip their stores every five and seven years, okay? Right. So everything's new. Unfortunately, this industry, a lot of it's been lack of CapEx. You go to a 10-year-old club, it's 10 years old. Well, you said that in your conference school. You said Bally's, you go into a 10, 20-year-old, it looks 10, 20. Yeah, absolutely. It looks shabby. So our thing, we never want to be out nude. Right. And I, I would travel cross-country in August, and I went to uh, gyms in every state. Right. I couldn't myself tell if it was 2 years old or 8 years old. It's great. Now, what I thought was really interesting most recently, kind of like the model of Wingstop, which mm-hmm. I really love, it's not easy to get a franchise from Planet Fitness. No. Right? <laughs> Talk about how hard it is, just in case people are saying, yeah, yeah. wait a second, I could open one of those, because you have good operators. We have really, really good operators, and it's taken, we've been franchising for 15 years. Uh, we've been around for 26 years, and it's taken us, you know, 15 years to find a great group of 150 franchise groups, great businessmen and women, a lot of sophistication, and we really don't need to bring in any new franchisees to speak of. I mean, almost all of our growth, 200 stores a year roughly, are all the existing franchisees opening their 10th, 20th, or 100th store. So um, a lot of horsepower, a lot of sophistication. Including private equity. And private equity, about, right. about 11 groups now in the system. Um, so it's a great business model, and they're just happy to put their money back in and open more stores for it. So I asked my millennial daughter why yeah. you do so well. She goes, Dad, equipment's equipment. As long as the place is clean, mm. you don't want to overpay unless the company yeah. gives you a membership. So, for instance, Equinox might be given a membership. Sure. But she says a lot of millennials are just looking and trying to figure out, well, equip, you know, that why would I pay X 
when I can pay one one tenth X. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. got to be a main reason you're so successful. Yeah, we like to build a lot of value. So I always like to say I build a fifty dollar month club. I just happen to sell it for ten. We have the same equipment you'll find in a $100 month club. Yeah. We do. And, and you're right, we have a lot of millennials. So we have 12.2 million members. Believe it or not, almost 45% of them are millennial. And to think about we designed this business model in the 90s, they were just toddlers. Right. And, just, and this is a huge part of our member base today. And one thing i got to s- salute you, and we were joking, but my friend Strauss Zelnick, uh, he owns Take-Two, and he did this book. He's got, like, the six-pack and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. That you don't really – a lot of people don't want to go into a gym where everybody sure. looks like that. Yeah, no, right? it's true. It's, so you look about 80, 80% of the population of the U.S. doesn't have a gym membership. That's who we're really focusing on. Right. And almost 40% of our members have never belonged to a gym in their life. So they don't want to walk into a gym and, and play a bunch of beautiful bodies and feel like the new kid in school. Right. right? And that's what we're really going after is make it a comfortable, judgment-free, and affordable so anybody can join. So, I mean, business is, I mean, for yours, because you offer value proposition, mm-hmm. I find that even if the economy goes soft, the value proposition continues to win. Absolutely. Yeah, we've had 47 straight quarters of positive comps. 47 straight quarters. Been through all kinds of economic ups and downs in the yeah. administration. And, and everything's great. 25th anniversary? Yeah, my, yeah, November, this is my 25 years with the company. Started the front desk in our very first store in Dover, New Hampshire. Well, you should be very <laughs> proud. I mean, you know, a lot of people doubted you when you came out. I, I look at this franchise to see who are the franchisees. Yeah. And if they're undercapitalized, I know you're in trouble. You're the opposite. Right. These guys have deep pockets, and they don't open mm-hmm. unless they know they're going to make money. Yeah, right. And that's why private equity's got involved as well. Wow. Yeah. Really well done. And, and ridiculously doubted, because I don't get it, because your numbers are very good. This is Chris Rhino, CEO of Planet Fitness, double-digit same-store sales still, and a million more people than we saw them last. They have money's back into the break. Thank you, Jeff. It is time. It's time for the lane. What's about Brown Buckles? I want to say, you say to Mark, I'm buying sales. We'll do this video. The stock market. You might get ready to sell. And then the lightning round's over. Are you ready? Skate time. Time for the lightning round. Because we're going to start with Chuck and Maryland. Chuck. Hey, booyah, Mr. Kramer. It's booyah. Chuck, a student at the University of Maryland Smith School of Business. Our investment class is looking at Orion Engineered Carbons, OEC. That's uh, Carbon Black. If you're going to do Carbon Black, you got to do Cabot, CPT. They are the one to be in with a nice yield. Let's go to Tom in New York. Tom. Jim, thank you all for taking my call. Of I course. go back to Cudlow and Kramer. Oh, my. My question. Oh, I'm sorry. My question about MPC. You know what? Here's what's happened. The spread has narrowed between what we can sell the oil at uh, and what you get uh, from gasoline for the refiners. MPC is the class of the joint. It's 3% yield, but it is going lower. It's in a bear market mode now. I still think it's the best run, and it's still going to be a winner long term. Let's go to Anthony, New Jersey. Anthony. Hey, Jim. How are you? First of all, I just want to say shout out, Matt. And I'm a huge fan of yours. I've been listening to your show since I was 10 years old with my dad. So See, this is what I, when we started this show, I always felt that people grow up listening to the show with their parents. Thank you for telling me that. That's what I need to hear. How about a stock? All right. So I've been looking into uh, Caesars Entertainment, uh, CDR. No, 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 you deserve better than that. I don't like that group either. I want you I just hate that balance sheet. I hate that balance sheet. And that's why I'm so negative on it. Paul in Texas, Paul. Hey, Jim, love the show. Thank uh, you. The company is Everbridge, and the symbol is EVBG. Do not know that company. I am going to have to come back. Do not know the Everbridge. Let's go to Peter in Florida. Peter. Hey, Jim. Thanks for all your help. I appreciate it. My uh, stock and company is Brookfield Renewable Partners. 
which is part of the large uh, Brookfield company. Yeah, you know what? When I see that size yield, and I know, I mean, Covanta we like with a high yield. Uh, I got to do more work on it because the six percent yield in a business that is uh, based in Canada. I'm sorry, I am skeptical. Let's go to Ciara in Pennsylvania. Ciara. Uh, hey Jim, uh, I'm in Philly actually. Go birds. Um, my uh, yeah. <laughs> so my mother-in-law and I were bonding over Thanksgiving since we discovered we both love watching the markets, and she is extremely bullish on IQ. And I took a look at it and did not agree, so we decided to let you settle it. Okay, so that, it's 20 bucks, right? What I would do, yeah. instead of buying a share in that, I would go to Gino's and I'd buy, and I'd buy four cheesesteaks with wit. Because those are going to keep longer than IQ. Do I make myself clear? Uh, let's go to Steve in South Dakota. Steve! Hey, what's up, Jim? First things first, your Eagles took care of business this weekend. My Vikes did last night as well. Well, I think the uh, Giants they... stopped taking care of business, to be honest. But that's all right. We take it where you can get it. What's up? Yes, they did, for sure. Um, so, Stanley Black & Decker, I'm not overly concerned because I'm a long-term holder. However, I did buy it at 136. It shot all the way and up. And we don't care where, where stock came from. We care where it's going to. I agree with you long-term. Short-term, you're going to have tariff issues. you got the president, got the Kodiak and chief in the White House saying all sorts of negative things. So just understand, he is a major, he and the Fed both are fighting here, okay? They don't want you to make money here, but the company itself is trying to make you money. And that, ladies and gentlemen, inclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Yo, Booyah, Jim, congratulations on a great show. Mad Money is not a show about picking stocks for you. It's a show about empowering you to think for yourself. This is Bill from New York. Jim, thanks so much. Hey, Jim, this is Curtis from North Carolina. I wanted to say thanks to you for creating Mad Money. The man, the myth, the legend. The wizard of Wall Street. This is Duffy from Philly, and I want to give a good booyah. You are the reason why we do this. The question is not, when will the bear market begin? It's more like, when will the bear market end? I'm so sick of hearing that there's been a correction or a reset. This has been far worse than a correction. I can't believe how badly so many hugely important stocks have been performing. Yeah, there's Verizon, there's Clorox and Procter, but then there's the rest of them. Consider the recent action some of the market's former darlings. Going to the weekend, NVIDIA stock was down more than 50% from its highs. And while it bounced today because of a buy recommendation from Credit Suisse, and I like the buy recommendation, uh, I'm hearing people say it's a reset. Uh, uh, others describe it as a change in the narrative after a soft quarter weak guidance. You know what I call it? It's an evisceration of astounding proportions. One of the most devastating declines I have ever come across. What do you call when General Electric, once the largest company in the world, sees its stock plunge 56% year-to-date? Is that a correction? A reset? I'd say that's a major part of the ongoing bear market, because every time anyone's tried to call the bottom in GE, it's taking your head off. IBM traded at 171 in January. Now it's at 119. Meanwhile, the company has reinvented itself by acquiring Red Hat, one of my favorite cloud plays. Doesn't matter. In a bull market, I swear this stock would be higher. But in a bear market, it goes down every day on the same news. Periodic updates like today punctuate. Did you know that Goldman Sachs' stock traded at 243 in August? 
It hit 188 on Friday after vicious Morgan Stanley downgrade. At these levels, the stock is traded below the tangible book value of Goldman. I mean, what the darn thing would be worth if you just liquidated it right here? It's quintessential bear market behavior. Yet, does anyone say it? No, they just tell you that Goldman's got some sort of problem in Malaysia. I mean, no one even knows what it's about. Sure, there's a supervision issue, clearly, right? There has to be a supervision issue. Management dropped the ball. Uh, I, I can't believe how Goldman Sachs, my alma mater, simply can't get ahead of the story. Maybe it's too hard. I don't know. But I, I also couldn't believe the stock would ever be this cheap. Yet in a bear market, things get cheaper and cheaper. And then much to my ch- travel trusted chagrin, cheaper still. You better believe the trust breathed a sigh of relief when Goldman's stock rebounded 2.8% today. What else? Today, Celgene caught a really crucial upgrade from Jefferies. This is an amazing biotech company. Remember, you used to call it the four horsemen of biotech? It's now being bird dogged by what people fear will happen when their core anti cancer franchise revelment loses patent protection in a few years. The upgrade's thesis was incredible. Celgene trades at a mere 6.4 times next year's earnings estimates. That's completely, that's preposterous even. But then again, think about this. Micron stock traded at four times earnings back when it was 62, and everyone said that was ridiculous. Now it trades at 36, and it sells for 3.6 times next year's earnings. So much for price earnings, multiple protection. It ain't working. I could go on and on. I have dozens of these examples, including Apple, by the way, which the president says he could slap a tariff on of some price, I don't know, uh, because they use Chinese manufacturing. But the simple fact is, these days, most money managers can only remember the systemic risk kind of bear market, like the one we had from 2007 to 2009. They haven't seen a Fed-induced slowdown bear market like this one. They haven't seen an end-of-cycle bear market where stocks just keep going down and down and down until the sellers finally exhaust themselves like this one, or because the macro factors finally turn around. Like if we did get a trade deal with China, which looks increasingly unlikely, or if Fed Chair Jay Powell rolls out a one-and-wait strategy. Until then, I don't know. Get used to the pain. Stick with Kramer. Take control of your financial future with the new madmoney.cnbc.com. Kramer's exclusive CEO interviews, full episodes, analysis, even your own soundboard. Plus special access to Mad Money 101 with rules and techniques to break down the market for all investors. The red flag that makes me drop a stock immediately is... It's everything you need right when you need it. The new madmoney.cnbc.com. A lot of news after the close. Of course, the president talking about tariffs on the iPhone. That's obviously very bad for Apple, which is a principal cause of the bear market. And then some good news after the close. United Technologies, as we talked about in our piece, is going to split into three different parts. And I think that does bring out value. But again, you've got to worry about China. It is tariffs. It is Fed rate. Fed rate tariff. I wish there were a different narrative. But the bearish narrative is taking hold. We just want to know how long the bear is going to own this market. And that's not clear yet. I like to say there is always a bear market, a bull market somewhere, and a bear market. I promise I'll find it just for you. Right here on my buddy, I'm Jim Kramer. See you tomorrow. CNBC's Workforce Executive Council is a premier group of C-suite human resources executives from leading companies across the country. It offers a members-only portal and chat, plus exclusive industry content, with access to breaking news calls and digital networking experiences. The network and resources HR leaders need now. Apply to the Workforce Executive Council at cnbccouncils.com slash WEC.